everyone. Welcome to the Racing Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Crandall. Chris Hall is my guest today. Chris is the Director of Pit Crew Operations for Legacy Motor Club, and that is what we're talking about today, pit crews. Specifically, building pit crews from scratch. Legacy Motor Club has brought that in-house this year, so Chris was hired to be the guy to find the right people, put them in the right places, and go to work getting those pit crews ready for the 2024 season on the number 42 and the number 43. We also talk about the dynamic of a third pit crew that's only needed on a part-time basis as Jimmy Johnson's gonna run nine races this year. Chris is an awesome follow on social media. He is so insightful when it comes to pit road, pit crews, and we're digging into all of that today. So I hope you enjoy. Here's Chris Hall on the Racing Writers Podcast. been looking forward to it. First off, we have a lot to catch up on, Chris, because the last time you and I sat down to do something, you were still at Joe Gibbs Racing, and we were talking then. It was before Next Gen had even debuted, and you were going through getting the pit crews ready for an entirely different pit stop. And now here we are sitting down at Legacy Motor Club and you have a new role. So let's just fill in the blanks of where you were and how you got here and what you got going on. So how things can change so quickly, right? So like we've discussed before, it seems like last week and here we are, you know, three years later. So a lot has changed and a lot of exciting things for me personally. And Legacy Motor Club is uh, such an exciting organization to be a part of right now and really excited about uh, the direction and the future and obviously the switch to Toyota and all of our great partners and it's a lot of fun but yeah I feel like I'm right back here in my wheelhouse right uh, building pit crews from the ground up uh, Legacy decided to you know, take on in-house pit crews where in previous years they have leased them out from different teams so here we are and uh, blessed to have the opportunity to be able to work with uh, great ownership like Jimmy and Maury and just the support from Cal and Joey and everyone involved It's it's been a lot of fun. It's been a ton of work, but it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> There's been a ton of work going on in this place just in general. There is so much going on here at Legacy Motor Club. Your title, according to LinkedIn, is Director of Pit Crew Operations. That seems pretty straightforward, but let's start to dig into this because what made me want to have this conversation was you were proactive. You had reached out to me and said, hey, we need to talk about the fact we're building pit crews from scratch over here, which you also just said a minute ago. So director of pit crew operations, mm-hmm. let's first jump into what that entails and let's dig into what it means to start something from scratch. Right. So what that entails is <laughs> pit crews. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> anything pit road related, pit crew related equipment, recruiting the athletes, you know, all the way down to partner activation at times with, you know, our athletes and our pit crews. I mean, it has been such a journey that we've been on and it really started with the vision of Legacy Motor Club, right? Like they wanted to have uh, their own athletic department. Uh, They know the value in people and finding the right people and Cal especially. And, you know, talking to Joey's like, hey, it's all about finding, you know, the right guys. It was very interesting to get started on 2024 in September of 2023, right? <laughs> You're like, okay, so when I got over here, there, it was a daunting task almost. It's like, okay, how are we going to do this? How are we going to find, you know, athletes who are up on their contracts or who are willing to take a chance to come somewhere new? You know, it's, it's intimidating to uh, take that leap of faith of uh, if you're comfortable somewhere or something like, hey, you should come over here and check us out. We don't really have any, you know, hi- historical information about <laughs> us, but I think we're going to do great things. So we got really fortunate uh, to find uh, two solid teams worth of guys who are not just great athletes over the wall, but great individuals, understand the vision of what we're trying to do here, who really pull the rope in the same direction. And uh, it's been a lot of fun, you know, getting to know new faces, uh, incorporating them with, you know, new parts of uh, Legacy Motor Club here, whether it's the marketing department or the business side or down on the shop floor. And our guys have big personalities and they're ready to compete. So that part of it has been a ton of fun. You said September, right? So you come in in September. What's the first thing you have to do when you're taking on a project like this? Because we're, we're going to dig into, as you said, finding the right people. Obviously, there's training and different things that goes into it. But before you even get to all of that, you come in, you sign this deal, you're going to be here. What's the the first things that you need to do so Joey Cohen and I sat down minute one 
right? And we said, we have to figure out who's going to fit our race cars next year, <laughs> right? So, like, immediately, uh, I think, uh, you know, we started working bright and early, first thing, and it was, you know, creating a list of uh, potential athletes who are either up on their agreement or are they good fits, and then it's reaching out, right? Like, it's reaching out to people that you trust inside the, the industry and say, hey, you know, do you have anyone available? Or is there anyone on the fence? Or, you know, like, where are people, you know, landing or moving or shaking and all mm -hmm. these things? And it was complete chaos in my head, you know, <laughs> if I'm being completely yeah. honest. And I typically am not a one who, you know, communicates on the phone a lot. I, I like to, you know, face-to-face -face conversations good. And I'll shoot a text message or two. So, and I'll say by night two or three of just talking to constant a constant rotation of people right I was like starting to get a little overwhelmed with just the conversation <laughs> but I felt like I had the spill down you know pretty well of you know what we were looking for and who we were looking for and it was really cool to quickly understand that everyone inside the industry could kind of feel the excitement mm -hmm. they could kind of feel what was coming and no one took this as a leap of faith it was more like a, oh yeah big things are, are coming with legacy you know so uh, that part I'm not going to say made it easier, but it made it more relaxing, right? right? Like, okay, so we are in the game. People understand that we are going to compete. Uh, we are going Toyota, and we have great race car drivers coming. So uh, that in itself is a really good selling point, if you will. But then when everyone got here and, you know, met our leadership team and understood the vision and, you know, all those things, uh, it made – it made our list of dwindling down, uh, you know, I'm going to say easier, but we had more names on that list. And we're yeah. like, okay, we're confident here that we can find the right guys. So that's what really the first couple of weeks looked like was, hey, what changers, what jackmen, what carriers, what fuelers are available? You know, how long have they been in the sport? What does their tenure look like? What caliber, you know, guys are these? And really going through and trying to make – uh, the best variation that you can. For as overwhelming as it was, let's dig into your background here just for a little bit so folks can further understand your role in the sport because you've been around for a very long time. For as overwhelming as this was though, you have experience basically doing this before, which is not only overseeing pit crews, but basically building pit crews and putting guys together on crews. You've done this before. So that had to be a little bit of a comfort of, okay, I have the background, I have the success in the past of knowing what to look for, that even for as overwhelming as it was doing it in a new place, it wasn't like you were doing something completely different. Sure, that's a really good point. And I was very confident in the process. I guess what kind of anxiety, I'll use that lightly, <laughs> yeah. right, was I was learning a new organization as well, right? So I was learning how to communicate with Joey, to talk about what our directions are, you know, <laughs> and you know me, I am a go, yeah. go, go, go until the job is done and then let's find a way to do it better, right? So like, you know, is my new coworker like that, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> do I have to be, you know, be ginger here, you know, and, and it all kind of worked itself out quickly, yeah. but you know, but it's interesting learning new personalities because you were with Joe Gibbs racing for a very long time. And not only that, but you were a pit crew member before that. So right. coming into a new situation, even though you were doing the same thing, finding out everyone's personalities, right. And just where you fit in and how this all gels, that could be overwhelming in itself <laughs> overwhelming intimidating maybe a, a better yeah. word right just making sure that uh, i knew what the direction was and the objective was but i didn't want to come off too strong or come off like not prepared you know whatever that was so just thinking through every possible situation in your head and having everything documented <laughs> and prepared and you know like all this stuff you know where you're, you're trying to make a good first impression i guess also to hey, I can execute my job at a high level as well as yeah. do all this stuff. So just that in general. But when it came down to the athletes, and we're talking about the picker athletes that go over the wall, it was such a, a blessing to have all my years of experience. And I actually went to Homestead at the end of 2023. That's the first time I'd been to the racetrack in a couple of years because I had remoted in, mm -hmm. in in my past life. And we had a pit crew war room set up and uh, it just made sense to kind of do it there. And we were trying to feed our boots on the ground information, you know, via radio conversations or, or whatever that looks like. So when I showed up at Homestead, it took me two hours to get from pit stall 43 to pit stall one. Everyone <laughs> wanted to talk, right? So, and I was like, okay, this is... 
this is cool. Uh, hopefully all these people like me or they're just trying to fill me out. You know, <laughs> one of the two things. So, but from that point, I had really good conversations, you know, starting in September. until I got to the racetrack, I had a really good idea of, the, you know, the guys I wanted to reach out with and was trying to persuade, you know, to follow this direction as opposed to take other opportunities. And it, it all worked out for us. All right, let's continue talking about the timeline. You come in in September, you described what those first few weeks were like. After that, how long, Chris, hasn't the process been since then to where you now have who your team's going to be for the 43, for the 42, as well as the 84? How long did that process take of going through, I'm sure, tryouts? And what did it take? How did you get to where, I'm assuming by now, we're going to the clash this weekend, you, you've got your pit crews, right? <laughs> Thank goodness, right? We have our pit crews. Thank goodness. So it was... It's super interesting, especially in our sport, like in this space. And I think this is a great, you know, point for people may not understand how this part of it works, but I have a small window of, let's call it free agency, right? So like there is a certain time in most agreements on pit road, which is you don't talk to our guys until October. So it's not like a thing where I'm like, Hey, I got to call this guy up, you know, day one, you know, I told you week one was making lists of people. So in lists of people means, man, as soon as I can start talking to him, I'm going to, right? So not only are you behind, so to speak, but just trying to respect, you know, the, the process. Yeah, the contract's know? in place. The contract's in place. So, so would that, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, because this is an interesting point that you just brought up. Sure. If for folks who are maybe um, fans of other sports, would that be almost comparison to where you hear about contract tampering or uh, free agent, tam- whatever the word is in other sports of where, you know, they're trying to get teams or trying to look at athletes or players, but there's that period where you can't talk, you can't do anything. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So And I thought it was really important. And obviously, and and Cal has been in my ear, and it's really important to him, is about relationships and doing everything with integrity, right? So when we sat down and we made our list, we knew we wanted to talk to these guys, and we knew to do things right, right? To make my first splash, I wanted to be on a good basis with these guys, you know? So, and I tried to always do it the right way. You reach out to, you know, pit coaches and say, hey, uh, this is what I'm thinking, you know, with your blessing, would you be okay if I talked to this individual? And if you got the thumbs up to talk, you talked. And if they're like, man, we'd really like you to wait until October 31st, then you wait, right? And it's kind of a waiting game. That part of it is uneasy. But for the most part, everyone in the industry wants what's best for their athletes, right? And sometimes what's best isn't the place that they're working, you know? <laughs> At the end of the day, these guys have families. These guys need to work and they need to secure employment in most places understand that. So I didn't have very many conversations where I reached out and, you know, didn't want to create friction immediately. So coming in, you make your list, you kind of wait through this process, you get the green light, you get the thumbs up. How do we build our race teams now? Right? Cause no one can start work till December. <laughs> so, you know, cause There's we're so still racing. Yeah. So, okay. Cool. I think we've got these guys here and you know, they're scheduled to start whatever first week of December. Okay. And then you have Christmas break thrown in there. You have all this stuff. So thankfully the folks here at legacy motor club had already prepared and building a pit practice car. Right. And okay, that's cool. We have a pit practice car, but we don't have a facility to practice at. Like what are we going to do there? Where are we going to go? How are we going to do this? So like after we kind of, you know, penciled in who we thought our athletes were going to be and got that part up and going, then it was like, okay, now we have to find a place to practice. We've got to get all our, all of our equipment ordered. What are we gonna do for video? What are we gonna do for cameras? What are we gonna do for, re- I mean, in full panic mode sets yep. in again kind of thing. But luckily uh, we have a great relationship with the folks at 2311. And obviously they ventured out and started their pit department, you know, last year yep. was the first time that they did it. So we kind of linked up and decided that we were gonna share some overlapping efficiencies and some equipment and, uh, some backups and whatnot. So it was really nice to have a relationship with someone that you could, you know, share ideas off of or like, man, hey, I'm I'm really in a spot here. You know, can you, can you help me get through this? Or do you have any ideas here? So uh, just having that sounding board to kind of talk to with, talk with some of those guys was such a, a huge benefit to getting this all up and going. And, uh, you know, ultimately we were able to start practice uh, the first week of December. So I don't know how. I still don't know how that worked out. But uh, 
then you ask like, man, these are, these are 10 athletes who most of them have never worked together before. And they don't know me or my coaching style before. So how are we going to do this? And uh, we had conversations here uh, with the competition group and we're like, the best thing we can do is try to do this as objective as possible. So we're going to uh, have a practice plan. We're going to dive into the data and, and see who works well together, you know, and if there's outliers, we're going to mix them around and, you know, try to keep track of everyone. And we really leaned on our tools and uh, being able to uh, make analysis of what these guys do and how they work together. And, and that's how we built the 42 and 43 for this year. What's the dynamic? Because you said right there, the 42, the 43, obviously, are going to be the primary cars here. They're the full-time teams for Legacy Motor Club. But that 84 is going to run, at least we know of nine races with Jimmy. How does the dynamic work once you have your two full-time crews finalized? How do you put together a crew that's only going to be needed for nine weeks? Because you still want good guys, but that's got to be a completely different scenario when, again, it's only guys that are going to be going over the wall, as far as we know, nine times or right. nine races this year. So how does that work when you're you're also trying to put together a, a part-time team? Right. So I guess simultaneously, as we are building the 42 and 43, part of the you know, relationship we have with 2311 was the uh, development group and our backup team or third team that you can think of. And if there is some races that we're running, obviously you mentioned the 84 running nine. And if 2311 decides to run, you know, an extra car here or there or whatever, we just got together and we thought it would be really nice to know who that group of athletes are and then train them how we want them and make sure that we have quality people in those positions. Right. And it, it made sense that we kind of went in on that endeavor together. So as we are building the 42 and 43, we're out uh, talking to guys about, hey, like this is the opportunity we have at hand. It, it gets you into this department and you kind of get the best of both worlds. Like you can support two organizations and you can pit race cars and you can stay relevant and, you know, all these things. So um, it was definitely it, – it, a lot of nuances to work out there, right? When you're talking about, you know, people and you're talking about organizations and competitions, but really with, you know, 2311 building their new facilities and uh, us practicing at the pit school in Mooresville and just having options where we could, you know, train our backup guys and our development group and not overload one program or the other. It's really worked out to where we can divide and conquer. And I feel like we've done a really good job of, you know, prioritizing what we need to for the 42-43, making sure the 84 uh, group is up to speed and where they need you know, to be ready to compete and hopefully go out and contend to win Daytona 500. All and right. it's all just a lot of diligent work, but it definitely takes partners and you know, it, takes, uh, it takes a lot of thinking on how to make that work and accommodate every situation. The pit school in Mooresville, you mentioned that's where Legacy Motor Club, the crews are going to train there. There's also, though, as you said, there's going to be this relationship with 2311 Racing. So even though racing is all about competition, it seems like with the pit crews that, yes, the Legacy Clubs are, are going to be Legacy and 2311's doing their thing, but it seems like there's still this com camaraderie, right? There's this teammate aspect of, I guess, working together as we can work together, whether it's training together or something along those lines, right? Absolutely. So I use this analogy a lot because... I don't know if you know this about me, but I grew up in a pretty competitive family. <laughs> so it doesn't matter if I'm racing my brother, leaving the grocery store to the car. Like, I'll push him down the wind. Like, I want to beat him more than anybody, right? But, like, you're not allowed to push him down, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. So, and we, we joke about that. So it's really awesome because Legacy Motor Club, Legacy Motor Club pit crews want to beat 2311 pit crews. But at the same time, you know, we can push each other. Yeah to be better right so you um when it's close to home you always want to be the top dog but if you can't win you close to the circle to win so it has a ton of advantages um you know just uh, again in equipment and uh training philosophies and just you know not everyone thinks the same way so if uh you have five guys in a room and everyone agrees on the same thing then we, we probably don't need all five guys you know <laughs> talking about it but uh, you can get in here and really challenge uh, each other's thought processes and, you know, how to approach different situations and hopefully come up with uh, 
pull the the best out of each of those and you know apply it to given everything that the athletes need to be successful what can you share chris about the makeup of your pit crews this year in terms of you were discussing you had your list right and you know whose contracts around the sport are doing what so what's the makeup between guys that were already in the sport and you and i talked a couple years ago you were then were trying to break the barrier of bringing in people that didn't have nascar experience because this pit stop of course with next gen is completely different i want to dig more into that in a second but What's the makeup of your crews in that regard? Is it all guys who who were in the sport already, or is it a mix between new recruits and new discoverers? <laughs> that is a fantastic question. I would love to sit in here and say, hey, we just found 10 guys who have never done this before, <laughs> and we're going to go compete at a high level next year. So, you know, that's a conversation and a decision that, you know, comes from within the organization. When we all sit down and we discuss, hey, what's our goal for the pit department next year? And it was to have our own and something that we are proud of and that we can manage our own expectations right so like for me i didn't walk in here and be like hey joey uh, i'm going to guarantee the best picker in the sport next year right because that would just be insane year one in your embassy now i we work like we're training to get to that point so it's really comes down to you know the approach and the support and once we kind of decided our goals like hey what are we going to do we had to go for experienced guys who had been around, who can propel us to where we want to go, right? And nothing happens without the hard work from individuals. And I really got lucky, first off, (laughs) but found 10 guys that I feel like can take us to where we need to go. And it may not be in year one, but the the three-year goal is to be competitive on pit road, right? And you're hoping to Uh, contend for race wins and you know playoff rounds advancements and all this stuff and ultimately our goal is to win a championship so that takes baby steps to get there however i would put our guys up against anyone right now so we do have a a lot of experience on our teams a couple names you know kellen mills is a jack in the 43 this year he's been a top five jack man for the last couple years in the sport right so that was a huge win for us to grab a guy like kellen uh jack in the 42 you have matt schlitter who was a jackman on Cole Custer's Xfinity Championship car last year and has a ton of upside, who's on the younger end of his career, right? So, like, he's not all raw, but, you know, this is his first big opportunity to perform at the cup level. So (laughs) how better than to have Kellen Mills, who can convince anyone of anything at any time, you know, big personality, excellent human being, great athlete, to kind of take a younger jackman underneath his wing and kind of – help get him up to speed, you know, quicker. So uh, just really trying to utilize a couple of those opportunities. When I look at our tire changers, we have uh, a veteran Josh Leslie, a rear tire changer, has done everything on the car, on the road, on the pit crew, everything you can think of. He has really been huge for me personally, just knowing that you have someone who can uh, organize, you know, the equipment schedules and, you know, getting things in and out. I know it's off season, but there is no off season really for <laughs> right. us, right? So uh, we're down there finishing our pit boxes up right now that have to be out of here by the week's end. So, uh, but having a guy like Josh Leslie, and then you know being able to use him to mold some of our guys, like you know Chris Schumann and Brian Backus, who are on the beginning uh, years of their career, hopefully, and they got a long time ahead of them. So. Uh, our tire carriers, we have experience in uh, Scott Riddle, and we have Ernest Holden, who has his first big shot, right? So, like, we tried to do a really good mix yeah. of, hey, I've done this, and I'm really good at this, but haven't done it long enough. So, like, <laughs> let's see if we can all just kind of make this work. And then we do have experience in the fueler position with uh, Rick Rozier and Justin Reisman have been around a lot of years. So it's it's a fun mashup. Uh, I think it doesn't matter four, five, 10, 15 years in, everyone's excited. And it, it comes back to the excitement that Legacy Motor Club has around it. It's ownership. Um, you know, Jimmy is on our group chat, which is interesting. <laughs> so, uh, but I told him we can't filter anything. If we have to, then we got the wrong group of guys in right. here anyway. So uh, he's not off limit, but yeah, definitely it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, just the, the drivers are, invested and we're going to see if we can make the best of this thing definitely sounds like a mix it's a mix (laughs) and that's what you have to do right you said a minute ago you used the phrase uh, the value of finding the right people without giving away too many of the secrets 
how can you explain what that looks like when you're going through this process and trying guys out and um, making sure you got the right combination of guys for each car? What can you share about what you do look for? What is it that you know that has to be kind of that it factor? I think character is the first thing that I looked for, especially walking into this situation. I wanted to be lucky enough to find guys who could ride the highs and lows and not let either of them get too high or too low and just kind of be steady throughout the process. Uh, We had to have individuals who knew what they were coming into. We knew that we were starting something from the ground up. And the first conversation I had with everyone was like, hey, if this grows to be special, like I think it's going to be, (laughs) in 10 or 15 or 20 years, you want to look back and say, I was the first one in there, right? Like I had something to do with the success and how what this has grown into, you know, like if that doesn't excite you, I don't know that you're the right person. I don't Mm -hmm. care how skilled you are, you know, kind of thing. And so the first aspect of it for me was definitely the character component, making sure that we are a team first approach. We're not in a situation where the individual wins, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Everything we do is tied to the team and the camaraderie behind it. And we really need to understand that from the first aspect of it. Secondly, uh, I looked at, you know, your athleticism tied to what you've been able to do in the sport, right? So, like, when you think of athleticism, naturally, the first thing you think is run, jump, you know, how high, how fast, you know, which that is all true. However, there is an aspect of athleticism in our sport. Hopefully, we're performing for nine and a half seconds at a time, you know. So, like, uh, what do you have inside that 10-second threshold that, um, you know, is really important to the success of being a pit crew member. So, uh, obviously, I've had eyes on pit road for a long time. I've got a lot of film on guys. Uh, it, there's eyes in the sky everywhere, right, <laughs> you know, so to speak. So, But, you know, just watching how guys move, how they interact, you know, with their individuals during a pit stop was a, a really important part. And making sure that you could take chances on guys who aren't necessarily tenured yet but you're not having to completely teach them from the ground up, knowing that your window is so small before you go to Daytona, you know, starting as late in the game as, you know, we kind of got going on this. Bringing the pit crews in-house, that's a big deal for Legacy Motor Club. It is. There's also Joe Gibbs Racing, who we've briefly touched on, or Joe Gibbs Racing or anyone that leases out pit crews. Let's break down, Chris, for fans, why doing it in-house is a big deal for teams, versus why some others do it to where they get their pit crews from someone else. Now, there can be arguments to be made for each one, right? But there's definitely a difference in a variable between doing it in-house versus getting them from someone else. There's pros and cons to anything. I believe when you draw the line in the sand and say, we're going to go compete to win a championship, and we are going to have uh, amazing partners like we have here, at Legacy Motor Club, and we have great drivers, and we have an awesome manufacturer, and you really want the ability to put your own thumbprint on that department. Again, if you have a a pit crew that's from an organization, those guys want to do a good job. They want to do the best that they can. I'm not questioning any integrity at all in that aspect of it, but when the checkered flag flies, those guys don't report to you, right? Like they report to said organization, you know, that they come from. Bringing the pickers in-house is a way for us to hold ourselves accountable, right? So when the pit crews go out and have a mistake and it's inevitable, it will happen, I can raise my hand and say, hey, we messed this up and this is how we're going to correct it. So I can sit in the room and say, this is where we came up short. This is why. And this is our plan moving forward. You lose some of that when the guys just show up, pit the car, and leave. So it is a really important task. It's a really big deal for us to say, we want to bring our own guys in here. We want our crews to uh, be a part of the team. And that means on the business side, that means on the marketing side, we want to be seen on the shop floor. Like We want everyone to interact and know that we're here for one reason, that's to win races and ultimately win a championship. And how you do that, is have all the right people pulling the rope in the same direction under the Lexi Motor Club umbrella. So 
That's about the easiest way I can explain. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got the pit crews, the season starting. Let's dig into just what life is going to be like for them now when the season starts. Let's go through what a week looks like for a pit crew for an organization, maybe the tools and resources at their disposal just during the week and being ready leading into race weekend. What yeah, does that look like? Absolutely. Well, race weekend can't get here soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it will actually start. So uh, after the duels, you know, we'll practice uh, leading up into the duels. After the duels, we will do a, a film review on Friday. We'll see how everything went, if there's any adjustments we need. We'll make sure all of our pit box needs you know, were met, and there's nothing silly that's going <laughs> to cost us an opportunity you know, on Sunday. Once you get past Daytona and you start to look at a weekly structure, you know, we have a great partner in Advent Health, and they're really focused on uh, taking care of our guys and giving them everything that they need to be super successful. So uh, we'll come back from a race weekend. Our guys will typically have uh, Monday off. Uh, Tuesday, they'll meet with our ATC and see if there's any, you know, uh, needs that need addressed, uh, you know, whether that's medically or, you know, stretch or rehab or mobility, you know, whatever they need for the weekend. And they will have a deep dive in their film. And uh, we watch film just like any other, you know, pro sport, college sport, you know, high school sport, whatever it is, we watch film as much as anybody does. There are uh, over 100 time step interval metrics that are broken down on every single pit stop. Uh, guys obviously like to look at themselves versus everyone else, you know, look at themselves versus, you know, as much information as we can gather from, you know, pit road for w whatever weekend we're at. And that takes a lot of time. I have access to guys, how much they watch film kind of thing. And it, it's nothing to see a guy with four hours of film, you know, <laughs> of a day. So, uh, and then we really hit the ground running on Wednesday. So we are actually going to push our schedule to later in the week. We will practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, just to try to get our last walkthrough closer to race day. Mm -hmm. So hoping that shows to be an advantage. Um, you know, typically everyone stays on a pretty structured routine across the industry and we're going to mix it up a little bit and see if, uh, see if we can't find a spark there so but the guys uh, you know uh, when you come in on wednesday thursday friday you know, we start every day with a meeting just you know everyone if there's any needs or communication or anything that needs to be said or you know we start with a team meeting uh, we talk about what the week's going to look like uh, we will review uh, what this race did historically in years past we will even have some pit stops you know cut up from that race weekend so they can see you know the surface or the tire degradation or how many times we're going to pit, you know, all those little things just kind of wrap their head around what we're doing. And then they will do pit stops and then they're required to lift three days a week, take care of themselves. And then uh, the only other requirement they have will be to uh, help push the car on the trailer, you know, when it's time to load here. <laughs> so, and we're doing that just to, again, we want to be a part of the team. We want to be a team first aspect and make sure everyone's, you know, pulling the rope in the same direction and, uh, that gives them a chance to look at the car before they see it at the racetrack and, um, you know, help them build relationships with their road guys and all that kind of fun stuff. Then we get to race weekend and race day. What's it like for a pit crew member on pit road? It's obviously a very chaotic place and, you know, teams have their own cameras now. Everybody can review the stops after it happens on pit road. But what else can you tell us about what it's like to be a pit crew member on pit road? What it's like to not only go through the stop, but what are they looking at? What do they have at their disposal? The mindset, because again, you've been on pit road, not just on this side of it, but you've sure. gone over the wall. What is it like for a pit crew guy on pit road on race days? Yeah. So especially now in today's time, there's not a lot of time, mm -hmm. right? You get there, <laughs> you grab something to eat as fast as you can and you go, you know, you go to work. And what does that mean? It means... Uh, you have to run your tires from, you know, point A to the pit box. And when the tires are there, they're just not ready to go, right? There's a preparation process. There's a, uh, a checklist that you make sure everything's good. There's nothing defective with the wheel or anything of that nature. So from the time you get to the track and you get your pit box set up, you get your tires ran, you go through all your checklists, you make sure everything's laid out. I mean, you're 45 minutes away from green flag. So it seems like there would be a ton of time in there, but there's really not. So I think it starts with organization when you get to the racetrack, everyone understanding what each little task they need to do is. That way that gives you know each individual as much time as possible to kind of reset themselves, get in the mental state, and get ready to compete. I love that you asked <laughs> what it's like over the wall yeah. because especially nowadays, right, 
I try to push really hard to put these guys in the forefront too, right? Like race car drivers are everything. Making race cars go fast are everything. And there are people who work their tails off to make that happen, right? And we work with a ton of talented people in the shop and on the road and, you know, the, the drivers and those pit crews. And to me, and it's a special place for me, is when it comes down pit road, you carry the pressure of all that. Right, so the men and women who work at Legacy Motor Club, when you jump over the wall, you're representing them. You're representing the work that they've put in, and it, there's a focus factor of like, hey, you can't let that get in your head. <laughs> you know, you, you can't let that um, mentally drain you before the stop happens. But you know, it's a it's a celebration when things go right. Uh, you know, not just because you did your job, but you represented everyone in the company really well. So. Um, there's definitely a focus factor that comes into it and just want to execute and do the best job that you can. So I think about it like shooting free throws, right? You step up to the line, there's a whole bunch of noise and it has to go in, you know, kind of thing. So that's where we are and, uh, it's so much fun and that's why these guys do it. And that's why we train the way that we train and, you know, hopefully we can continue to be a difference maker on the outcome of these races in a positive way <laughs> and uh you know keep doing the best job we can what's your responsibility chris once the season starts obviously to this point as we've talked about it it's been getting these crews ready and just putting them together here mm-hmm. at this organization what's your responsibility once the year starts with these pit crews and trying to get the best out of them that's a great question because i look at myself as obviously you know the head coach and what does a head coach do on any sport and after any game is I review a ton of film. I love watching film. I'll be able to uh, communicate, you know, what our pickers did uh, in the previous race or what the next race looks like in our competition meeting. I'll meet with, uh, you know, the crew chiefs and drivers and, uh, you know, obviously Joey Cohen be a huge part of those conversations just about, like, uh, what we need, what needs to improve, what's going well, you know, all those little what nuances that need to be handled in the front of the week. I, I do like to uh, be as present as possible, you know, in the shop when we are not doing pit stops. So going down and working on little projects or thinking about new ways that can, you know, make pit stops fast or little parts and pieces that, you know, could help make our jobs easier, you know, on Sunday. But ultimately, majority of my time is with the guys. So uh, I'm with the guys. Uh, I need to do a better job of it, but I try to work out with them, build relationships and trust with them and, and make sure that um, I'm there to hold them accountable, but also be someone that they can you know count on as well. So a lot of film, a lot of working out, a lot of practice planning. Uh, and then, you know, the rest of it is just the logistics and the easy part and, you know, making sure that everyone gets from point A to point B. <laughs> so uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a step above babysitting, so that's good. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They'll all kill me for saying that. A couple years ago when you and I talked and really dug into this next-gen car, the biggest thing, of course, was this new pit stop, the new car with the single lug and just how much that was going to change pit crews. And there was a lot of talk back then about which organizations were going to try to really limit whether they just wanted their guys to focus on Sunday pit stops versus still allowing them to do Friday, Saturday, and Sunday because of how different each vehicle was going to be. What can you tell us about the crews this year for Legacy? Are you going to have them just focused on Sunday pit stops, or will they be allowed to, I don't know if freelance is the right word, but go do a pit stop on a Friday or Saturday for other series because it's it's so different? Yeah. The Legacy Motor Club 42 and 43 will just focus on Sunday only. Again, we plan to practice later in the week, get us closer to uh, race time. Um, our 84 group will do Xfinity racing on Saturdays. And that's just a way, you know, with a limited schedule, that's a way to keep them going, right? And uh, letting them compete week in and week out. So uh, they will pit an Xfinity car this year. and But ultimately, you know, our full-time efforts on the 42 and 43 are to put all of our focus on Sunday, right? Like, and I personally think the best way to do that is to focus on single lug. Mm-hmm. That you're, you will never hit five lug nuts again, <laughs> right? On on Sunday, like it's it's just the, the way it is. So um, that's where our focus is. Our guys understand that. Not all of them love the idea of it, but 
it is what it is. And Mm -hmm. I guess that's why I get to sit in this chair. (laughs) (laughs) So, but we'll see how that goes. And uh, again, I would never say never, but it really all comes down to the look that they're going to get on Mm -hmm. Sunday. And and that's what's important to us, and I think that's where our strategy needs to lie. I mean, it makes sense, right? You want them focused on the one job and the one task and how it's going to be week after week, pit stop after pit stop. The last couple years, Chris, because, again, I keep referencing that story that we did before 2022, it was such a big deal, and, and you and Joe Gibbs Racing at the time were really at the forefront of trying to make sure that the pit crews were as prepared as possible to do a single lug pit stop. How have you seen that evolve over the last couple years with teams, of course, taking it more seriously but really the focus being so much on what these pit crews can do the choreography of the pit stops because this car really did change a lot and it changed especially when it comes to pit road it has been so much fun to watch the industry yeah right and how quick and awesome our industry (laughs) is right like it, it really is insane to think about being able to adapt to a pit stop. I mean, you just seen it with the amount of issues we had in year one. I would argue that a lot of that was human error, right? Like we made a lot of human errors as an industry in year one. And then you seen year two and I was like, whoa, is this the same product? <laughs> yeah. you know, what, Everybody what's going... suddenly stopped talking about wheels yeah. falling off because it wasn't happening as much at right. least. <laughs> so, and now you'll always have your instances and there will always be things that aren't ideal, right? right? But Because these are humans. Human beings. So the human aspect. Exactly. But it, it has really been incredible to watch how good everyone has gotten at this job, right? So it's like anything. If you want to be a better free throw shooter, you shoot more free throws. If, you know, you want to be a better field goal kicker, you better be out there <laughs> kicking field goals. I mean, I don't know what it is. It's just like pit stops. And it really has shown that we have some of the best – Uh, athletes that go over the wall in all of motorsports and how quickly they are able to adapt to situations, uh, figure out all the little techniques and nuances to, you know, do it as fast as they possibly can. And if you look at pit road now, you know, uh, the teams leaving Phoenix, a nine, five pit stop might've got you passed if you were running in the top 10, (laughs) right? So you start thinking about doing pit stops around nine seconds every single time just to maintain. And it's like, holy cow, everyone's really honed in on their craft and their skill. And like, now the exciting part for me is like, how do you deviate or how do you differentiate yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, from that without being overly one way or the other, you know, and shooting yourself in the foot. So uh, again, the next gen pit stop, so to speak, if you go back to our thing, that was a way to get a competitive advantage on the field, right? Like we knew that people were going to try, I'm going to say the simplest way, but, you know, to achieve things that they've done in the past. And if you want to get an advantage, you have to uh, take a risk. You got to learn from those mistakes and see what you can do better. And I would say hindsight, uh, you know, looking back on that situation is the field was able to adapt quicker than I anticipated. Mm -hmm. I think that yeah, the athletes that jump over the wall are so good at what they do. And maybe that was over my head, you know, when thinking about, do we need to reinvent, you know, the way to, to do this, to try to like double down on our advantage, you know, kind of thing. So I think now looking into the future, it's all about managing your rep schemes, making sure you're being really efficient at what you do, not killing these guys with hundreds of reps, you know, a week. And really coming down to the right individual. And I know I know a lot of places have different ways of doing things. But when I was a, you know, 17-year veteran, you know, in my last year getting ready to go over the wall, I didn't want to do 100 reps. You know, like uh, my body was telling me, hey, l- let's shut this off. So, you know, we have some veteran guys who, you know, need some rep management. And maybe they need, you know, less this in the gym and more this with the ATC. And, you know, how we do that is just a a constant balance to make sure that we're optimizing performance on Sunday. When you talk about the uh, adaptability of the the pit crews and just all of these teams, it seems like we've gotten now to a good place where there's folks who – have changed the choreograph of their pit stops a little bit and there's folks who just stuck with what they knew and they've made it work it Mm -hmm. seems like pit road to me at least has that kind of good balance now between everybody has figured out what's comfortable for their pit crew right (laughs) you can kind of watch and know 
without any kind of, you know, catastrophe happening, <laughs> what each team is going to do, yeah. you know, in that moment. You know, I could – there at the end, everyone was really consistent, you know, and you could almost – you know, you knew the six car was going to run a sub nine second pit stop because they had hit and they had found something and, and they were knocking it out time and time and time and time again. Right. So like um, just being able to pull back and watch pit road as a whole, I definitely became a fan of yeah. that. Right. And that's crazy to think about inside your own industry. Like it's exciting to watch these guys just continue to, you know, carve out time or this or that. And it's so funny to me. And I love F1 and I love F1 pit stops and I, I love every, everything motorsports about it. But, you know, just the comparisons to, well, you think you guys are fast, but look <laughs> at this pit stop. And I'm like, and we're doing this with four people who are allowed to, you know, change the tires in and out. And you have one guy fueling. And if you look at corner times, you start talking about 2.2 seconds and 2.3 seconds, 2.4 seconds. That's stuff that we see on corner times now. So in just, you know, 18 months time, you know, two years time, I guess, really, you have guys who are holding this big gun in their hand, you know, going over the wall in competition for the first time. And now we're, we're getting to a point where, you know, we're pushing the bounds of how fast can we go? Yeah. You know, so like, uh, it's kind of crazy and a lot of fun. It's a good segue to, to wrap it up with this question as we're talking about the pit stops. What should we expect this year, Chris? What are the averages? What should we look at as a a good pit stop or a fast pit stop? What is everybody kind of in the ballpark these days of? I do love this question because <laughs> it's great, right? I believe that the competition group and your crew chiefs and engineers and everyone has seen that it's really difficult to pass on the racetrack and it's easier to pass on pit road, yeah. right? So like you just have to have your car more pitable than everyone else. <laughs> And then your guys have to execute at a high level, and that's going to fluctuate from race to race, right? So, uh, I do see your, you know, mile and a half packages and the races there. You're going to see eight, seven, and nine flat pit stops will be the that will set the tone for the day, right? Uh, you go to your road courses or super speedways. I see that. The field majority will be around a 10 flat, I would think. And then you'll have your race teams who are like, hey, we're going to see if we can make up and get this car as pitable as we can. And, and you know, I think it's a big chess match, yeah. right? So ultimately what we're doing internally is we want our race cars to go as fast as they possibly can, right? And then if that affects the pit stop, then we discuss like, hey, man, this may cost us X amount of time. And, and then it's a, a negotiation at that point. So I don't know if you've ever sat in a room with Dave Owens, but that's a lot of fun. <laughs> So I typically don't win, but I think it will come down to that. And again, we've seen fast pit stops at the end of last year. And the thing that I look for, for the, you know, the 2024 season is those mistakes will just continue to hopefully minimize. Mm -hmm. And I just, I'm not saying that I hope legacy motor club minimizes mistakes. I hope the field continues to minimize mistakes to show, you know, how awesome, you know, pit road is in our space. And, uh, a goal for mine, for our teams, 42, 43, 84, is to execute, uh, achieve uh, everything the crew chief asks them to do, and never take their car out of position, you know, to compete. And that seems very blah, uh, but if you do that, you can be a head up on the field, mm -hmm. right? And then hopefully we can work in areas to gain and find speed and be ready for the playoffs. It's going to be fun to watch. Chris, I always enjoy getting to talk to you. We've done it now a couple times over the last couple of years, and you've just helped me understand Pit Road and look at it so much different. So I appreciate that. Thanks for the time today. And uh, all right, you've, you've laid it down. We can't wait now to see these legacy awesome. teams. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a lot of fun regardless. So thank you. Once again, my thanks to Chris for coming on the show. We had a great time sitting together at Legacy Motor Club. A lot is going on over there. You may have seen a lot of the stories that I've written over the past couple months for Racer.com, and here we are talking about it again on the podcast. So Thursday night, this Thursday, in the duels, those pit crews will get their first taste of competition together as they are on the number 42 and the number 43 and the number 84, Jimmy Johnson attempting to qualify for the Daytona 500. And then Sunday in big-time competition trying to win the Daytona 500. 
So thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. If you want to follow Chris on social media, which I suggest you do, he's very good with X or Twitter, as you may know it, and sharing posts from Legacy or offering his own insight into his pit crews and the guys that he works with. So if you go to X, his handle is at C underscore Hall underscore three underscore 12. Once again, that's at C underscore Hall underscore three underscore 12. You can just search for Chris Hall and you'll find him. And if you go on his profile, you'll know it's him because as I said, he is retweeting Legacy Motor Club. He's also got a picture of him and I sitting together for the podcast and anything pit crew. So you'll know you have the right guy. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review. Greatly appreciate when you do that. It helps get the podcast out there to more and more folks so they can listen. You can also interact with me on social media. Go to X. My handle is at Kelly Crandall. Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, plenty of places to interact with me. I'm also trying to use my YouTube page more this year as well as branching into TikTok. So that will be fun. But as I said, plenty of places interact with me and get more content. And of course, I hope you have racer.com bookmarked for all of your written needs this year when it comes to NASCAR coverage. That's all for this week. Thank you once again for listening, clicking, downloading, and the continued support here on the podcast. Next week, we're going to go inside the halls of Bill McAnally Racing here in Statesville, North Carolina. Bill McAnally sitting down on the podcast for the first time. You want to talk about another team that has a lot going on with how they have reshuffled their drivers for this year in the Craftsman Truck Series. Of course, have their ARCA program that is so successful. So we're going to get to know Bill and his background for folks who don't know how long he's been involved in racing and look at what the expectations are for that company this year. That'll be next week right here on the Racing Writers Podcast.